0: Welcome to Europe Speaks, a TEPSA podcast channel where we explore everything to do with the European Union, history, current affairs and the future of Europe. This week, here's the first in a series of DICE webinars, where we've gathered the world's leading experts on differentiated European integration. In this first webinar, Jim Close, the Secretary General of TEPSA and a European diplomat of some 35 years, takes us through a short history of differentiated integration in the European Union.
1: DICE webinar on differentiation. I am Jim Close, Secretary-General of TAPSA, and we will talk today about a short history of differentiation. I will not start with a theoretical definition of differentiation for a very simple reason. This is very much a case of practice preceding theory. In fact, the uh, differentiation started because it was needed. It was born out of necessity. It was not as though one day the decision makers or the fathers of the treaty woke up and said, how can we define a concept to differentiate among ourselves? The fact of the matter is that when they created European integration, they wanted to create undifferentiation. They wanted to create commonality. And they invested particularly in exclusive competencies, like, for instance, agriculture or trade Or the customs union. Now, if you fix guaranteed prices at the EU level for wheat or milk, you do not want a country or the other to practice different prices. That would not make sense at all. It happened out of necessity, because at some stage in the development of the European Union, there was a feeling that some member countries wanted to go further or more quickly, but they couldn't do so because not everybody was either ready or willing to do so. So there were various means which were invented very pragmatically to make sure that the slowest chip was not stopping the convoy, so that the Union could go forward, and that is how differentiation occurred. The best way to illustrate this is to give a certain number of examples. Um, A lot of what happened uh, was around the time of Maastricht when the European Union both was going towards uh, more enlargement and was adding new competences to the treaty. Those were moments where it was felt that some people, some states wanted to go uh, further. Um, I will start with a, a very basic example where we see differentiation in time. When a new member state does the European Union, uh, it has to take over tens of thousands of pages of legislation, the so-called acquis communautaire. Now, this is difficult, it takes time, so it is entirely normal that the country requests a certain transition period for some of the most difficult uh, parts of the acquis communautaire. At the same time, uh, there are also the existing member states who sometimes are worried that the entrance of new the entry of new uh, member states will cause problems for their markets for instance when spain and portugal joined in 1986 france was very worried about uh, a disruption of the uh, agricultural markets uh, at home so there was a transition period or later on when in 2004 we had this massive enlargement towards the east and the south, a certain number of member countries were worried that their labour market would be disrupted if free circulation of workers was introduced immediately. That is why member states had the possibility to have a transition period for seven years, where the acquis would not apply the new countries. Now, pour la petite histoire, it is very interesting to remember, in view of what happened later, that the one country, together with Ireland, which did not want a transition period on this, was the UK. They said, we do not need it. So they did not avail themselves of that possibility. And then, of course, later on, when the discussion came about Brexit, they said, you imposed free movement of workers on us in an unacceptable way. My second example is a, a, a very uh, interesting one. It is Schengen. Uh, what happened was that in '85 there was a big movement towards completing the single market, but not for capital nor for the free movement of people. There were some member countries, incidentally there were five of the founding members, all of them except Italy, who decided that they could not have total free movement of everything except for people. But how could they do it? They couldn't really do it because the treaty did not allow for this, and there was no question that the treaty should be changed, because countries like, for instance, the UK or Ireland and others as well were simply not willing nor ready uh, nor capable of doing this. So the five uh, founding members of Schengen decided to do a treaty outside of the EU framework uh, to abolish border controls between themselves. They also created police cooperation to make this possible and other accompanying measures. This treaty was signed in a small village called Schengen at the border between Luxembourg, France and Germany in 1985. Now, what is important to understand is this looked like a very radical move, but it was not as radical as that for a simple reason, that is, from the start, for the members who had created this new Schengen. It was obvious that sooner or later it should be extended to the other member states and even be integrated into the EU. And for that reason, the Commission was always associated to Schengen, so that to show that this was actually a project for the whole of Europe. And this worked because uh, a few years later, in Maastricht already, there was the Justice and Home Affairs pillar which was added. on police cooperation and other things, and Schengen itself was integrated into the treaty with the Amsterdam uh, uh, Reform Treaty. And today you have actually 26 countries being part of Schengen, all of the 27 except Ireland, which has an opt-out, and three countries, which have not yet fulfilled all the conditions, uh, Bulgaria, Romania and uh, Croatia. Uh, but who are going to enter sooner rather than later. And you have actually three countries from outside the EU, Switzerland, Iceland and Norway, who are part of Schengen. The next example, a very interesting one, is obviously the Euro. This is differentiation created consciously by the treaty. There was a common objective. We created a European Monetary and Economic Union that binds all the member countries. But the third phase of it is the creation of a single currency, the euro. There, it was foreseen right from the start that this was a common objective. But in order to join the euro, you had to uh, fulfill a certain number of criteria. At the same time, there were two countries who requested an opt-out, which is a much more structural differentiation, Britain and Denmark. So you have, for the Euro, a mixture of things uh, where uh, there are most of the member countries are supposed to, even required to join once they fulfill the criteria, and there are two who have an opt-out. Uh, concerning the former, there is an interesting case of one country, Sweden, which fulfills the criteria, but after a referendum decided they would not join. Technically, this is in a way an infringement, but of course no one's going to impose the euro on a country where the uh, citizens in a referendum have said no. Uh, we have uh, cases which are a bit different. For instance, when the Maastricht Treaty was negotiated, there was a social protocol, a social chapter. The British decided not to join it. So this was a permanent, well, they sought a permanent opt-out. They actually joined a few years later with the Blair government. But this was more a Europe à la carte. Thing. Then, maybe let me finish with an example of ESTP, uh, Foreign and Security and Defence Policy. Now, defence policy, by essence, remains intergovernmental, and the sovereignty of the Member States remains. And quite naturally, there is differentiation because, just look at the situation, uh, the majority of our Member States are part of NATO, but not all of them. Some of our Member States are neutral. Uh, and this is being recognized by the treaty right from the start. So you have this inbuilt differentiation which continues. And then, of course, with the uh, Lisbon Treaty uh, uh, more recently, uh, there is an Article 46 of the uh, Treaty on the European Union which was integrated to foresee permanent structured cooperation between the member countries who fulfilled a certain number of criteria. This was meant to encourage the uh, creation of projects, military defence projects, where some countries are more advanced than others. But it's interesting to notice that today there are actually 25 member states, part of it. Why? Because no one wanted to be left out. So in the end, the situation is, of course, that the criteria were watered down, to allow others to join. This is an interesting lesson, because uh, very often the member states who are not part of the first movement do not like it very much. They want to be part of core Europe. There are a certain number of lessons. I said I would not talk about the theory. Now, of course, when all these movements happened, academic research started into all of those various uh, issues. There were also uh, quite a few uh, politicians talking about it. And uh, of course, they talked about it by using different terms, because what we had seen on the ground was different ways of doing differentiation. So one of the terms being used was multi-speed, which basically means on a temporary basis you have differentiation. You. Uh, uh, It helps others to start, but while you are not ready, you have the time to catch up. You have this, for instance, in in the euro, it's a good example, or transition periods is another example. So that is a first uh, temporary uh, way of doing differentiation. Then, of course, you have differentiation, which in a way is more problematic which is like the uh, protocol, where the British didn't participate because they didn't want to be uh, bound by it, it is more problematic because it resembles the Europe à la carte, uh, where sort of if you push this too far, then you know member countries will say, I like this, and I participate. I don't like that, I will not participate. So it's already more problematic. The term when... If differentiation was explicitly put into the treaty uh, with an article allowing for measures of enhanced cooperation, the term used was exactly that, enhanced cooperation, which is a neutral term. Now what is interesting is that once this was explicitly foreseen in the treaty, it was used far less than before. This looks paradoxical, but it is only paradoxical optically. Why? Because when the discussion came about integrating such an article in the treaty, there were a certain number of member countries who feared the abuse of enhanced cooperation. And so the conditions to launch enhanced cooperation in this framework were very drastic. For instance, you could not do it in areas of exclusive competence. Uh, You needed nine member countries to launch it. It had to be a last-resort measure, and the outs were always allowed to participate in the debate. So you see that here, uh, initially, the article had been asked for by those who wanted to do a lot of enhanced cooperation. But the way it was framed was very much driven by those who were worried about the negative uh, effects uh, of uh, enhanced uh, cooperation. And this is something uh, which came up uh, when people started talking about a core Europe. Uh, There is a term which is called Europe with various geometries. This is of course structural, and the idea behind it is that you would have a core of member states, they would do everything together, and on the periphery you would have countries who would only be part of the system. This came up in the 90s. There was a famous paper by uh, Schäuble-Lamas in Germany in 94, for instance. There were proposals made by the French Prime Minister Balladur at some stage. And from time to time this idea comes up. It has never really gotten off the ground for a very simple reason, and that is that no one wants to be excluded from the core Europe. Member countries consider that they are part of the Union and they are not second-class citizens in some way or other. So this has n- never really uh, gotten off the ground. And it's interesting to see, I mentioned this example of PESCO, a uh, permanent uh, structured corporation in the defence area, where we ended up with 25 member countries, although if you had really looked at the criteria, there should have been fewer. Uh, so this is a way to say that the lesson I draw from enhanced cooperation or differentiation is that it is a pragmatic tool but it should not be transformed into a way of permanently dividing Europe. There are three conclusions. The first one is that uh, differentiation is a natural phenomenon in a union of so many different diverse member states and that if you systematically and each time insist on uh, having everybody immediately on board, there are a certain number of policies which would not have gotten off the ground. So it is a very useful tool, and it's quite natural. Uh, But secondly, uh, it is a tool. It's not an ideology. Uh, It is a tool, and a tool which has to be used with a certain discrimination. What you do not want is something which divides permanently, permanently. You do not want something which excludes people who want to do something with you. Uh, It is not something which distracts from the commonality of our political project, which is the European integration. So there have to be uh, certain conditions for using it. And the last point is that all the attempts, as I said before, to create permanent, structured structural change which excludes some countries and relegates them to the periphery has not really worked and shouldn't work. So uh, differentiation, in my view, is a tool, it is not an ideology.
0: This project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under Grant Agreement No. 870789. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may have been made of the information contained therein.